Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Thursday, it is almost game day. We're counting down to USC and Stanford in the Coliseum. So we're going to do a preview show today. We've got RJ Abadia from thebootleg.com. We're going to have him up in the first segment talking about the Stanford Cardinal. We're recording this on uh, Thursday around noon. So as of right now, we do not know the status of Stanford quarterback KJ Costello. So we'll, uh, we're going to talk to RJ about that. Then after that, we're going to, uh, I'll just jump in and answer some of your questions that were left over from our email bag and I'll jump in and do my best to answer all of those. So hope you enjoy the show. And so as promised, we are going to start off with RJ Abadia from thebootleg.com. Follow him on Twitter at, at RJ underscore Abadia, A-B-E-Y-T-I-A. Does a great job covering the Stanford Cardinal for the bootleg. Dot com. RJ, thanks for coming in. How you doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. And yes, please never forget that underscore. Yeah. Is, is there a lot of Abadias out there that you need something that's not an underscore? Honestly, I feel very confident at this stage in my life that if there's an Abadia out there, at worst, he's related to me. Yeah. <laughs> Probably something like that. Uh, well, okay. Stanford Cardinal yeah. come in. 1-0. Trojans are 1-0. Uh, Stanford's ranked number 23 in both the AP and coaches poll, uh, good win. I thought it was a gutty win against uh, Northwestern uh, up on the farm, up in Palo Alto. What did you think from that game real quick before we jump into the USC game? Well, yeah, I think what you said is pretty much on, on target. I think for me, coming into the season, there's no question which side of the ball had the biggest question marks. That'd be the defense for Stanford. And so to see them come out with, a very strong defensive performance. I mean, Northwestern, obviously not the most explosive offense, but still to see them come out and put up basically a net three points um, in their first effort was encouraging. And I think, you know, it's early enough in the season that we'll just chalk up what Stanford did on offense as the first game, because I think most people expect a lot more from that offense and given what they have, on that side of the ball, I think eventually they will they will do a lot more. So, yeah, a good, solid opening win. And then, you know, obviously, big, big test on Saturday. Yeah, big test. Um, you know, David Shaw, I think, has done an amazing job there. He has the most wins in program history, 83 wins. He's actually the Bradford M. Freeman director of football, David Shaw, and the head coach. You know, Stanford does things a little bit differently. Uh, but 95 wins for Stanford this decade, that's the most – in the Pac-12, if you didn't know that, USC fans, and the number six in the nation. So Stanford's definitely coming in, uh, done a lot of good things this decade, a lot of good things under David Shaw. The offense last year looked a little bit different than what we were, I guess we normally associate with Stanford. KJ Costello was a big part of that, all those big receivers. Most of those receivers are gone. Is KJ Costello going to be gone? We know USC's lost their quarterback at the first half of the game last week. What's the status with KJ Costello and for Stanford? Well, hopefully you'll get rewarded for uh, doing all those follows on Twitter that you just put out. Um, 
We are supposed to be updated late this afternoon and maybe at the latest tomorrow morning, but I think we're going to hear something late this afternoon or this evening pretty definitively about KJ Costello. Um, Coach Shaw had kind of pledged to uh, to get that put out there. Um, and so he's pretty good about stuff like that. And he said earlier in the week, it wasn't going to be a thing where he spring, he springs a surprise on anybody. He was going to get it announced in advance of game day. So I think, you know, we are not that many hours away from knowing. Um, my inclination is that he's going to be available to play, but we'll just have to see, but yeah, we should know. And certainly everybody will know at the very latest, uh, tomorrow. If for some reason KJ Costello cannot go, uh, Davis Mills is his backup, highly rated coming out of high school, uh, injured uh, quite a bit over his Stanford career. What are your thoughts on Davis Mills? Yeah, so yeah, uh, Davis Mills, basically, it, it's interesting because I think if you ask the Stanford coaches if they had to go a whole season with their backup quarterback and every opponent had to play their backup quarterback, um, I think they'd take that deal. I think they'd take Davis Mills over certainly every number two quarterback in the Pac-12 and quite a few number one quarterbacks. Um, the big, the big, you know, blemish on his record is just he's had no kind of, no kind of health luck. I think that there are certainly a good number of people of the belief that had Davis Mills been healthy the last two years, he could actually be Stanford's starting quarterback at this point. Um, so. It's an interesting scenario. I think, you know, you hear Stanford might not have their starter. You know, KJ was obviously as good as he was last year and clearly someone you want to be there under center. But given his potential absence, I can't imagine Stanford could feel any better um, than they do about having to use Davis Mills. David Shaw um, loves him, to be quite honest. He loves his demeanor. He loves his game. I mean, just it, it's... Um, it's not the worst scenario. I'll just I'll just say that. I would argue that the absence of Walker Little at left tackle is a much bigger concern. Um, so yeah, I think Stanford. Obviously, you want to go into every game with your QB one, but if you have to go with a QB two, I think Stanford feels as good as they can possibly feel uh, throwing Davis Mills out there. You mentioned Walker Little, uh, Stanford's left tackle, who's pretty much started since he arrived on campus, I believe. Um, I was curious to see how this offensive line was going to hold out after. Maybe not the best uh, performance last year. I think three holding calls against the offensive line in the first quarter against Northwestern. Um, what's this offensive line looking like, and how, how do you f- project them to, to go for the rest of the season? And, and, of course, the USC game. Well, I would say it's definitely improved. Um, I think your analysis about last year is right. I mean, just to put it bluntly, they were not good, and they were not what you kind of expected in terms of the calling card of a Stanford offensive line. They lost, you know, way more of those third and one, fourth and one goal line battles than they're used to, quite frankly. And a lot of it um, was just kind of their inability. Well, there are two things. Number, number one was they couldn't keep anyone healthy. They had eight different offensive line combinations in the 13 games that they played last year. And number two is they really could not identify kind of an anchor scheme in terms of a signature play, a signature run scheme that they could kind of hang their hats on. And I think this year they've taken steps um, towards that. It's not what you've seen in the past with kind of that power play and the pulling guard. I mean, that's still in the playbook, but 
we saw a lot of inside zone from the Cardinal, and I think that's probably more where this line's comfort level is. Um, the the one other issue, though, I would say is that um, Walker Little is out, but there's also some depth issues as well because had they had their full complement of backups, which they don't, um, Dylan Powell is a backup interior lineman who Coach Shaw listed as doubtful um, on Tuesday. And that has a big impact because it basically means that Devery Hamilton, who started a good number of games last year for Walker Little when he got hurt, can't slide out from guard to left tackle. He has to stay inside and play guard, which is forcing Stanford to put a true freshman in Walter Rouse out there at left tackle. So um, I think based on the early returns, I think the offensive line is better. It's far from the dominant groups we've seen in Stanford's vintage years. And I think depth is without question a major concern coming into this game on Saturday. What about some of the skill guys? Uh, you know, Colby Parkinson is a stud. Uh, all six foot eight of them or however tall he is. Um, coming back, but he's pretty much the main guy that's come back for this unit. Uh, so much production was lost from last year. Anyone stand out from you on the skill position side, wide receiver, tight end, running back, anything like that? Yeah, I think if there was going to be a year where Stanford lost its top, its top two wide receivers, um, I think this would probably be the year to do it because that position group is arguably the deepest and most talented that it's ever been. Um, certainly in the David Shaw era, but I think you could argue that there's more talent in that room now than there's ever been. Um, so there are a number of guys that Stanford feels really good about, um, including some, some Southern California guys, uh, Michael Wilson, the sophomore out of uh, West Hills Chaminade, which is the greatest high school ever. Also mine. Um, <laughs> and you've got, have, have, had to do it. Sorry. And, uh, you got Osiris St. Brown out of Santa Ana, modern day. Also, Connor Weddington um, is back playing. And so you got a pretty good group. And then there's another player, uh, Simi Fahoko, who took two years for a Mormon mission. Um, he's out of Utah, and he's back. And the Stanford coaches feel really, really good about him. He's very much in the J.J. Arcega-Whiteside mold. Um, big guy, tall guy, actually the fastest wide receiver on the team. Um, from all reports that we've heard. And he is that kind of guy. He's a basketball standout, just like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. So he kind of does give them that, that air bully jump ball play if they choose to go for it. So I think for the first time in a while, I think Stanford's marquee talent is, first of all, you do start with Kobe Parkinson, but he's as much a wide receiver as anyone else. If you look at the way he's deployed and used on the field, he'll be flexed out at least as often as he's playing with his hand in the ground. And then at running back, you know, they've made no secret that there's not a Bryce Love and there's not a Christian McCaffrey, but the, the committee, as they've called it, um, looks okay so far. They look functional. You know, Cameron Scarlett's a fifth-year senior. He knows what he's doing out there. Um, Dorian Maddox got some run on Saturday, and he looked pretty good, I think, one of the interesting evolutions of this Stanford offense has been there was a lot of talk about using the backs in the passing game and doing more of that this year. And we saw that last Saturday against Northwestern. So I think it, it's, it's an unusual situation. I think Stanford's talent for the first time in a long time is really more heavily concentrated on the perimeter on the offensive side of the ball. And, um, 
and yeah, so it's, it's a little bit different look coming into the Coliseum on Saturday night. Defensively for the Cardinal, I thought they did a really good job against Northwestern, uh, really shutting them down for most of the game. I know a little bit of concern, I guess you could say, with the linebacker core coming into the season, but I, it seemed like the defense is playing at a high level. What did you see from the Stanford defense? Yeah, I think that's right in both cases. I think inside linebacker, you know, with the loss of Sean Barton and Bobby Okariki, who were two guys who got, you know, the huge, the huge bulk of the snaps last year. Um, there were a lot of questions about that group, especially when you consider, you know, Stanford's a base 3-4 team and you really kind of need your inside linebackers to be cleaning things up. That's kind of the design of the defense. But they've, uh, they've looked good. They moved Curtis Robinson, another modern-day guy from the days of yore, um, to inside linebacker. They've got Andrew Pritt, who's another senior who had an interception on Saturday and played a pretty good game. And then they've got two young guys that they're really excited about in Ricky Miezon and Jacob Megan Farrar. So, Again, like I was saying earlier, an area of concern, at least at the start, has started to look like something um, something that they feel pretty good about as far as the inside linebackers. And then the defense overall, yeah, I mean, I think they played about as well as they could play. I mean, like I said, Northwestern's not a great offense, but um, they looked good. They looked better on the defensive line. They looked better up front. And so um, I'm actually really curious to see how they hold up against USC because, you know, I think in years past, there's been a lot of USC Stanford games where it seemed like at least for long stretches, USC was having its way running the ball and then kind of by their own choice kind of went away with it. And I think this year, um, I think Stanford's a little better equipped to be tougher against the run, but I think, you know, certainly the USC is going to test them in that regard. Paulson Adebo, is he the best player on Stanford's team overall? I and mean, he just seems like an absolute stud out there. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to say that at this point. Um, he's really, really good. I mean, we were we were all surprised he got challenged at all on Saturday. And, of course, when he did, you know, nothing good happened for, for Northwestern. Obviously, USC has um, has guys at the, at the wide receiver position, so I don't expect him to have a quiet night. I think they're going to go after him because I think they feel good about their guys, too, as as secondary coach Dwayne Aquina told us. Um, but yeah, he's, he's outstanding. Um, and, and we'll see. I mean, I, I think this is a real benchmark for him. I think Stanford had a guy in the secondary. He wasn't a corner, but uh, they had Justin Reed, who was, you know, NFL draft pick. He plays for the Houston, Texas, and he was Stanford's best DB coming into this game two years ago. And he had by all accounts, his very worst game of the year against USC in the Coliseum. So I think if Paulson shows up and, and steps up in this game against this level of competition, then, yeah, I don't think there's too much competition in terms of who Stanford's best player would be. Yeah, he had a nice interception uh, against Northwestern. Uh, real quick on the special team side, Jet Toner comes through with a, with a big kick uh, in that game. What's a, how Stanford's special teams look so far this year? So I think it's a concern. Um, at least relative to the last few years. One of the kind of hidden advantages Stanford has enjoyed is elite special teams. Um, their coverage units, their return units, um, field goal kicking, um, and, and yeah, and that's basically all the units as far as I remember. But, um, yeah, it's been a big advantage. It's been a big advantage for Stanford, and I don't know that it is that advantage at this stage. Um, they didn't get hurt really in the return game very much, but their punter – um, freshman Ryan Sandboard didn't have a, a Jake Bailey level performance 
They had a field goal blocked that ended up blocked and doinking off an upright. Um, so still some things to get in sync in terms of field goals. Um, and then in the return game, I think they feel good, but we haven't seen anything spectacular happen as yet. So um, I think more question marks on special teams this year for Stanford than they've had in years past, for sure. Um, strength and conditioning coach Shannon Turley uh, had to be replaced. Um, it, was there a replacement there? What's, what's going on on the strength and conditioning side, just to get an update? So Stanford did what they typically do, which is promote from within. Um, Colin Carroll, who's been with the program off the top of my head, I'm going to say at least six or seven years, but it might be even more than that, um, took over. And actually, there's been a lot of talk because Stanford, Stanford focused a lot on leadership, on team leadership and player leadership. And, and Coach Carroll, by all accounts, had a lot to do with that over the summer and working with the guys and getting them to to be accountable and getting them to hold each other accountable. So it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little strange, you know, to not have Shannon Turley out there. He was such a part of the brand, but by all accounts, that aspect of things has, has transferred, um, has transitioned pretty smoothly at this point. Saw one of your tweets about this uh, being a rivalry game. And if you questioned how much Stanford views USC as a rival, they do play the USC fight song throughout practice. Uh, this does seem like it's become a, a big rivalry, especially with these teams going back and forth and meeting in Pac-12 championship games throughout the decade. It seems like it's really stepped up this, you know, the past several years. I think it has. And I think, you know, David Shaw touched on this um, in his press conference this week. But I think um, just a lot of it is that finally Stanford has been able to sustain a level of play to where it really is a rivalry. I actually, you know, I think, there's a lot of Stanford fans and a lot of USC fans, um, you know, who in their in their most truthful moments would concede that this is a very, very intense rivalry, and it's 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 up there with anyone else that that Stanford plays on its schedule. And I think the only thing that's held it back is, you know, USC just being so dominant. I mean, they're I think they're 30 games above 500 all time, or pretty close to that. But like you said, it's been really competitive over this last decade, and Certainly from the Stanford point of view, I feel very confident saying that there's not a victory on the schedule that eclipses a victory over USC. I mean, obviously, you've got the Bay Area, you've got the Cal rivalry, um, and that means a lot. And and the rivalry with Notre Dame, to be honest with you, has become something significant. But I, I think when push comes to shove, this 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 is the rivalry. This is This is the team on Stanford's schedule that is has no chance of ever being overlooked. Yeah, we'll see what happens this weekend. USC and Stanford in the Coliseum should be a fun one. RJ Abadia, follow him on Twitter, at RJ underscore A-B-E-Y-T-I-A. Thanks so much, RJ. No problem, Ryan. Thanks a lot. All right, that was RJ Abadia talking about the Stanford Cardinal, of course, coming to the Coliseum on Saturday. We'll be back taking a quick break, one minute, and we'll be back answering your questions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Man, we got a lot of questions uh, from you guys. Uh, we did two shows already this week, but a lot of people have sent in questions. A bunch of voicemails came in, so I wanted to try to knock a bunch of them out. We're actually going to do one more podcast uh, at least. We'll do the Family Feud podcast with uh, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling, so I might leave a couple of the questions for them, but I'll just start off trying to go through these as fast as I can and as thoroughly as I can for all of you. This is from Peter, an email. Have we seen JT's last meaningful snap at USC? Think about it. Either Slovis goes berserk and saves Clay's job, and Lynn's too, for that matter, uh, or just a true freshman who wins the games he probably should and loses the ones he should, Stanford, Utah, Washington, Notre Dame, etc., which would lead to Clay being fired. My guess, hope, he puts in parentheses, is that SC starts to run some of the power spread that you see Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama run because hopefully Urban comes to town. Seems like Bryce Young would excel in that type of offense. That's uh, Peter uh, Belisha in Turlock. Yeah, Peter, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of these kind of situations. I mean, he just he hasn't had surgery yet. Um, I mean, there's always a chance that any player that's their last meaningful snaps uh, at USC, you have a devastating injury like that. Uh, we don't know what the future of the program holds. Uh, we do know he has 11 starts under his belt. We'll see how uh, Keaton Slovis does uh, going forward. And what's the status of Bryce Young? And will a coaching change happen or will it not? I mean, there's, there's so much uh, up in the air, but I mean, just like anybody, there's a chance that those were his last snaps. So um, this one's from Don. Did he put AE? It's uh, you, if you want to say uh, Palier, you say IE, but it's uh, they call it EA. So this was completely wrong. He has AE. So it's you just write IE if you're like capital letters, but it's EA is what they say. Did EA make any tackles? Saw several missed tackles. Uh, he said Slovis. Let's hope JT is okay. Uh, so Don, yeah, obviously you said that in before you found out that JT Daniels was out. But yeah, EA, Pallier, and Aloterte did make uh, some tackles. He had six total tackles. Didn't have any big ones, but I did feel like he he had missed some. He, I don't think that was his uh, best uh, game out there. Why don't we go, let's go to a voicemail. I'll play one for you here. This is Jeff from the OC. I think Clay Helton better make up with Jack Sears. Um, if he wants to keep his job, he better have the best backup quarterback in. I know that Kevon Slovis has got some potential, but he's just a freshman. Clay can't afford to have a freshman take over at quarterback. He's not Sam Darnold. I think the closest thing to that is Jack Sears. And he better make up with Jack, give him the job that he would have had as a backup quarterback. He would have been number two. I think there must have been some sort of an agreement uh, after he found out. Jack found out that he was not going to be number one quarterback, and they just let him slide to four because they figured he'd transfer. That's my thoughts on that. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. Hey, Jeff, thanks for that. Um, yeah, so I don't think you're going to see Jack Sears back in a USC uniform. I don't blame him at all. Now, you know, he comes in. There's only two scholarship quarterbacks. 
if there was some sort of promise that he's going to be the starter, then maybe, um, you know, I don't know if everyone else gets hurt or there's, you know, one more injury, maybe he comes back. But I don't think in this situation he's going to come back to be the number three guy. Um, did I feel he played better than a couple of other guys? Yeah, but that, you know, that's just from what I saw on the field, not necessarily uh, what you saw uh, or what what they saw in meetings and all of that. Um, it's a, you know, it's a coach's decision. Uh, they like Slovis. They like what he's going to do. They're 100% behind him. So don't think there's going to be any fences mended there. Not that there's a lot of animosity between the two sides, but, you know, Jack Sears can go out and, uh, you know, work out, do, finish school and go back and transfer somewhere and maybe play against USC next year. Who knows? We'll see. But he'll have two years to play, graduating early. I think he's, uh, he's, he's just about, to, I think he might only have one or two classes or something, but, um, you know, he'll graduate and uh, move on and we'll see where he goes. All right. We got a question from uh, Casey. Uh, Casey said, since USC plans on putting the Heisman retired jerseys in the end zone this year, do they also plan on putting national championship banners over the press box like they did before the renovations? I always thought it was a good way of showing tradition and pride in our program, as well as having it as an intimidation factor to the opponents. Thanks uh, for that question, Casey. No. Yeah. So I'm actually looking at a picture of uh, right now and not seeing any kind of banners like that. There's a lot going on there at the very top. You have United airlines field below that. There's a sign on the, the marquee Otis press box, uh, Otis booth press box. Uh, so there's some signage there, but there's a lot of seats. There's uh it's, you know, less of like a wall there and more of there's just seats and openings. Uh, and you really have that kind of thinner uh, boundary between the floors uh, there. There's some advertisements and stuff. Uh, on the lower levels, um, but I, you know, I didn't see, and maybe they plan on adding some more, um, but I didn't see any sort of uh, display of, of championship banners. There's no flags like they had before. Um, they do have the score like at the very lower level. So if you're sitting looking at the press box, you can see the score, the time, uh, the down and distance and things like that. But most of uh, the signage that I'm seeing are either uh, advertisements or just, you know, like those marquees there. So uh, but yeah, the, if, I hope you got to see the uh, Heisman jer- jerseys. Those were back. Uh, they're back in the uh, in the end zone below the peristyle. So it was. I thought it looked pretty pristine down there. There were some tents and stuff, but for the most part, I thought it looked uh, pretty cool. All right, let's do uh, another voicemail. Here you go. Hey, this is Jason from uh, Japan. Sometimes back in California, I was just wondering what your thoughts on uh, Slovis. Didn't really have any weapons to throw to in high school. He now has some upgraded weapons. Is there any reason for us to not be somewhat positive and optimistic about him maybe elevating his game because of those around him? Uh, JT had probably four and five-star receivers around him at modern day, I assume. So I assume that if Slovis has some better weapons, he could probably make something of it. Anyway, thanks. Bye, on. Hey, thanks, Jason. The international calls are great. Love those. Um, yeah, no, I think there's some optimism there. It's not like he wasn't on the camp circuit. We didn't see him out there seven on seven. Uh, he didn't have a lot of D1 players at his high school. Now he's got an embarrassment of riches around him. So I think that's a, a positive. Uh, they, you know, Graham Harrell loves the way he throws the football. As talented as a guy he's seen and he's played with Aaron Rodgers. So I don't know what that means. He was asked about that specifically this week, but um, kind of ducked around it a little bit, but he really likes uh, Slovis's talent. So 
Um, we'll see. I think, yeah, I think there should be some optimism there. It's really me to me. And we've talked about this a few times before, you know, uh, Michael Castillo talks about it. It's really a, a system that should help the quarterbacks. All of the quarterbacks look better. So just because one goes down, I don't think JT Daniels was irreplaceable. I think he was your best option, but I think Slovis had a good option. I think Sears would have been a good option. I think, um, you know, Matt Fink, I think all these guys could play in this offense and be somewhat effective. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, you want to be optimistic about, it, especially all the way from Japan. You de- definitely should be. Really curious to see what the offense looks like around them. Are they going to rotate more guys? Uh, are they just going to run the ball more than they normally do? Or is he going to make go out there and make all the throws? Uh, very curious to see how this all unfolds. All right, let's uh, go to another voicemail. Hey guys, sorry about that. This is like my third voicemail. I'm leaving. The past two times I've been sort of dodging. Um, while not using a hands-free device while driving. So my question is, I'm sure that you guys, like me, follow the USC accounts on Instagram. On just about every single post, it seems that the sentiment is that Clay Helton should already be gone. Uh, You guys are in touch with the Trojan fans, and I think know the voice of the Trojan fans the best. Is this just the case of the angriest fans being the loudest? Or is, is this, it seems to me to be the sentiment of, of all of us Trojan fans are ready for the guy to be gone. He doesn't live up to the standard that has been set by some of the great coaches that have come before him. So I guess to sum it all up, who out there uh, among us, is there a group of people that believe that Clay is still up to the task after having seen time and again the performances uh, that the team has given under his guard? Uh, thanks for taking the time. We'll love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the voicemail. Yeah, no, there's definitely there's definitely people. Uh, Pete Arbogast is the voice of the Trojans. He will always say, I'm going to support whoever the coach is. So Clay Helton is the coach. I am supporting Clay Helton. He's going to hope that he gets the job done until he's not the head coach anymore. And then he's on to the next one. And there's there's plenty of fans that are like that. And there's other fans that, you know, don't feel like it's going in the right direction and they want to see some sort of change. I mean, the good thing about this year is I think it's going to play itself out. I don't think you're going to get any kind of ambiguity uh, what's going on here. It's not going to be an easy run and you you win a bunch of games, you deserve to stay. If you don't, you probably deserve to go. So I think that's where we kind of are right now. But thanks for the voicemail. We had Daryl in LA said, hello, Peristyle. I just listened to the preview podcast. Uh, I think this came in from last week then. He said, there was a question regarding the best two safeties from the last 20 years. Of course, of course, Troy Polamalu is one, but for the other, uh, not one of you mentioned Sua Cravens, really? I don't know how he's been forgotten already. Daryl from L.A. I think he just got cut recently by the NFL, actually. But yeah, no, he was a stud uh, safety as well. So thanks for that. Uh, Andrew in West L.A., how does John Baxter still have a job? For years, he can't get 11 players on the field. And then the opening kickoff of the season, he sends out two players wearing the same number. Uh, these are simple things that he can't get right. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but what big time college special teams coordinator can justify things like that? Fight on Andrew in West LA. Yeah. So, uh, Dan got to talk to John Baxter this week, a little bit about that. Um, because, uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart was supposed to be on the, the team on the, uh, the kickoff return team. He got bumped up to starting corner and then they had to put Chase Williams in and they had the same number and the, you know, the players are supposed to put those uh, slip on jerseys and all that stuff. You know, we talked about this on tunnel vision. I, I think it's ridiculous, but um, you know, 
and, and Shotgun said it happened a couple of times last year. To me, it's just you're overcomplicating things by having the double jerseys. Like, would you rather just put someone else out there with a different number? Like, I don't know if it was so necessary that you had Chase Williams out there if you're going to have uh, another number seven in Stephen Carr. So that that would be me. Um, you know, they have systems in place to try to, uh, you know, make this work smoother. But since it's happened twice last year that Shotgun noticed and once this year that actually got a flag, um, maybe I, 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 you know, just don't, I would suggest not doing that. Um, you don't have to make it as complicated as it is. All right. We got another voicemail. Here you go. Hi, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. I hate to bring this up, but how does the peristyle feel about USC football being just like we were the year of the Rose Bowl or the year that we took the Pac-12 where Every game is in doubt just about. No blowouts. We do things to hurt ourselves, but we do enough to win most of the games. The Rose Bowl is not in the playoffs this year. You could actually take second place in the Pac-12 and still go to the Rose Bowl. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis, the eternal optimist. Yeah, like if you remember 2016 – uh, USC didn't win the Pac-12, uh, didn't go to the Pac-12 championship game, but went to the Rose Bowl and and beat Penn State. And it was a huge, huge win and, uh, you know, really jumpstart the program and everyone was excited. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's a long way from now, Curtis. Yeah, I, I would think this team is talented enough to make some kind of run and go to a really good bowl and win a whole bunch of games. A lot of people are concerned that they're not going to be coached well enough to get them there. So that's why we're going to watch. I mean, it didn't wasn't super promising for Fresno State. Um, we'll see how they look against the Stanford Cardinal, which we always say is a false positive. You can't just judge USC or a lot of teams on how you end up playing Stanford. Um, but I think the first four games are a good barometer. You saw what you saw at Fresno State. You're going to see Stanford, BYU on the road. Should be interesting to see what they do this weekend uh, in uh, Knoxville, where Knox, Tennessee got horrible, a horrible upset uh, last weekend. So Georgia State beat them. See how BYU looks at that. Of course, Utah is the one that's the most important game on the calendar for me because I think that's a huge step to determining the Pac 12 South. So let's talk again, Curtis, after the first four games. And if they're 4 0, I'm all with you. I'm like, hey, man, you're right. Like, this could be a Rose Bowl team. This could be all this stuff. If they're two and two, then not so much uh, because you got two really tough games coming up. So, but thanks, Curtis, for the call. Uh, we'll do like one more and get you out of here. Tony from the dub, Whittier, 7 30 p.m. Kickoffs, yuck. But really, what's going on with that? This is like the start times for universities like Hawaii, San Diego State, and the Arizona schools. Do you all feel the same way? I mean, this is the world we live in, Tony. Um, from the dub. Uh, yeah, this is, this is college football, especially in the PAC 12. You got to get as many eyeballs as possible. TV rules are roost. You, you have to get TV working and, uh, you know, it's better to West coast games. You can't have an East coast game at seven 30 PM. You can only have West coast games. So they'll put good games there. Want to get, uh, as many eyeballs as possible. That's why they're even looking at potentially doing 9am games. Um, but you get a lot of tailgating time. You get home late, man. I, this last game, I was home at like 2.30 in the morning because we're in the press box working. Uh, 
for a while. So, you know, we don't really like the real, the late games either, but it's just kind of a, a necessity uh, in college football now. You got to get that TV revenue because that's where everyone gets paid. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks so much to RJ Abadia for coming on and uh, previewing the Stanford Cardinal. I hope you guys really enjoy it. We're going to have, if you're listening to this on Thursday, we're going to have Tunnel Vision Live Thursday night. We're going to have uh, probably up Friday morning, we will have uh, another podcast, the Family View podcast with Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Make sure you check peristylepodcast.com, uscfootball.com, uh, all of the stuff, all of our Twitter handles, everything, social media. We're all there all over the place. Um, just putting up tons of USC football content. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 